Amen. We're going to get into the word of the Lord here today. It's so good to be at church. Glad to be with all of you. Love seeing your faces. I think about you during the week. I'm not going to ask you if you think about me. I don't want to know, but I'm glad to see you. I think about you. I pray for you. It's good to have all of you with us today. Amen. Amen. We're going to get into the word of the Lord here today. We're going to turn to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. Amen. All the way back in your Old Testament, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 19. And I'm going to begin today a two-part message. Every once in a while, God just drops something in my in my heart and my mind to preach. And as I just get through it, it's almost I've just got too much. And so I want to spare the saints of Connection Point Church with a long sermon. We'll break it up into two parts here today. But I want to lay a foundation. I believe God has just kind of given me some direction for this service here today. And I want to take a look here at something interesting that happened in our in the Old Testament here. I think it pertains to some of the events that we are experiencing perhaps in our in our current day and age. Amen. We find here in 2 Kings, this is a point in time where the nation of Israel has they have turned their back on the Lord. And as a result, the nation has fallen into a terrible cycle of sin and rebellion, apostasy. They've fallen away from the Lord. They've turned their back on God. And how many know that can happen to a nation? Amen. It doesn't take very long for a nation to, with godly leaders and a desire to pursue and to obey and follow after the principles of righteousness and godliness to just within one generation or so turn their back. And here we find the book of 2 Kings, we find that this King Hezekiah, he received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you some background on this, but these letters that Hezekiah had received were from this nation of Assyria. And they had just invaded the nation, the northern kingdoms of Israel, the ten kingdoms that had split from the, from the southern kingdoms of Judah and Benjamin. It was a divided kingdom, and it was a kingdom that had just been invaded, that northern kingdom, by Assyria. And Assyria sees that they have conquered the northern kingdoms. Assyria represented, if we will, the, the enemy, the things of this world, the spirit of this world. They had, they had conquered the northern kingdom. There was, some, there was some territory that they had taken. And now that they see that they've conquered the northern kingdom, all of a sudden something happens in Assyria where they get arrogant and they get proud and they begin to think that if we've conquered God's people in this territory then we can conquer God's people in every territory. That if we can win here, we can win there. If we've won up there, then we can win everywhere. And it's just like the enemy to think that, that if they can, just, they, they can just bully the church of God, if they can bully the people of God a little bit, that they can just kind of take over. But I just feel something in my heart to just say that God's hand is still upon His church and God is still going to make a way and God is still going to protect and provide for the people of God. Look what Hezekiah does here in the word of the Lord. And Hezekiah, get this, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God 
you alone. Of all of the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of this evil king of Assyria, Sennacherib, which he has sent out to mock the living God. Hezekiah was a king. He was known as a revivalist king. He brought revival to the nation of Israel. And it was here that Hezekiah recognized that there was trouble in the land. There was turmoil in the land. There was a threat against the people of God. And Hezekiah, look what he did. He didn't go to Facebook. He didn't even go to the local representative. But Hezekiah realized that our power isn't in a political candidate. It isn't in a Facebook chat. But our power is when we bend our knees before the Lord God Almighty. And we bow our knees in prayer and we call upon the name of Jesus Christ that there is power in prayer. Do I have anyone that still believes that God hears the prayers of His people, that God answers prayer, that God is still delivering and healing and making a way? Come on, church. We can't ever abandon the source of our power. One more verse of Scripture in the book of James, chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is any among you suffering? Does anyone have trouble? Is anyone in turmoil? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Here, in other words, James gives us a prescription that no matter what season in life you are, no matter where you are, what you're going through, the solution to your situation, the solution to your season is that you would seek God in prayer. I'm going to just give you a foundation today on this two-part message that I believe will be an encouragement, I hope, when I preach on this subject, the ABCs of deliverance, the ABCs of deliverance. Bear with me. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's do that right now. Lord Jesus, we call upon your name. Come on, let's just... Meditate on the Lord right now. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, God. We give you all the glory. Come on, we still know our power is in you. We know our influence is in you. We know our protection is in you. Hallelujah. We give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I have to give credit where credit is due this morning. Cindy gave me the title for this message, and when I gave it, she didn't know I was going to preach on this. She was smiling at me as if to say, mm-hmm, <laughs> amen. So we're going to just, can we give Sister Cindy a round of applause? Aren't we thankful for Sister Cindy? She does so much, you don't even know, and so we just love her and appreciate her. If you want to honor me, you honor her. Amen. If you want to bless me, you bless my family. Amen. 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 Is any afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing songs. It's this one verse that has two very different scenarios. This one verse which describes two very different realities of life, both merry or happy. And on one end, on the other end of the spectrum, those who are afflicted. It's in trouble on one hand and it's happy in the other hand. Both bothered and joyous. Both having problems yet 
cheerful, both miserable and jolly, worried and also at peace, upset and even relaxed, the right side of the bed or the wrong side of the bed. Can I get a witness? We've had those types of days. Amen. Everything is going all right and everything is going wrong. He's describing here this writer of Scripture, Paul. He's describing what is often comes into both of our lives, two different types of days, a bad day, amen, and a good day. And it gives us instructions here in the word of the Lord that no matter what our circumstances are, that if everything is going well, if everything is going right, he says, go ahead and sing. Sing songs of praise. Sing songs of worship. If he's married, then let him sing songs. It would be all right with me as as I'm sure it would be with you if every day was like that, that every day was a happy day, that every day was a singing day that if you could just wake up every day on the right side of the bed with a positive attitude and a positive mindset with a song in your heart, everything's looking good, everything's feeling good, but how many know that life isn't always merry? And so Paul gives us a little more instruction. He tells us that there's also the other reality of life, that sometimes life is difficult and life is filled with affliction because the reality is is that life at times can be very hard, that life can be difficult. It was Job who was a man who was very much acquainted with the difficulties and the afflictions of life when he said that a man is born of a woman, is of a few days, and yet his life is full of trouble. Job just had that sort of outlook on life. He had been through enough. He had dealt with enough sickness in his body. He had dealt with enough situations in his life. He had dealt with enough loss and enough pain and enough trouble and enough controversy that he came to the conclusion that sometimes when I think about life, I just realize and recognize that life is but a few days yet it's full of trouble you see the undeniable reality of life is that we all have affliction in this journey of life that that whether it's the affliction that comes on to us through other people no decision of our own no choice of our own no action of our own but someone else does something to us someone else says something to us someone else brings affliction into our life or maybe it's the affliction that our own choices make a, a decision a, an ill-advised choice we went one way when we should have gone another way there's there's choices that we make in life that sometimes bring affliction But whether it was somebody else's choice or whether it was our own choice, sometimes life is just a matter of just being life. That there are good days and there are bad days. That there are difficult days and there are happy days. That life is experiences and experiences bring us both good and bad days. I want to tell you today that if you live long enough, you're going to face Good days and you're going to face hard days. But no matter what the origin of your day is, no matter what type of day or affliction you may be having, the word of the Lord tells us very clearly that we ought what we ought to do whenever we feel that we are being afflicted, whenever we're walking through the valley, whenever we're going through a difficult time, a troubling time, a hard time. It's James that says, is there any among you that is afflicted? And then he gives us the solution for our affliction when he says, let him 
pray. I want to just tell you just simply right off the bat today, I didn't come to give you some deep recipe or some deep solution for all the problems of life. I don't have 12 steps to make your life better. I don't have uh, some fancy book title to give you today, but what I have is as old as 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 the word of God itself that that God has given us a prescription for the challenges and the trials of life and that is when we find ourselves with our back up against the wall and life gets it's tough, it's time for the church of God to fall on its knees in prayer. I want to tell you today that whatever's going on in your life, that it's not the best answer always to complain or to gripe or to give up. Don't fall short of the purposes of God in your life. But when you find yourself going through a difficult time, that that is the time for us to learn to pray. When you are afflicted, it's time to pray. When you're having a bad day, it's time to pray. When you find yourself in trouble, it's time to pray. When you're miserable, pray. When you're worried, pray. When you're bothered, pray. When you're upset, pray. Is there any afflicted among you? you let him pray I want to tell you today that prayer is our solution that no matter what happens in this life no matter what season of life we may find ourselves in that we have got to be able to get to God in prayer prayer shouldn't be our last resort but prayer should be our our first our first answer so we find this story here in the book of second kings this obscure portion of Scripture that probably on most occasions as we read through our Old Testament we would just kind of glance over. But it was here in this portion of Scripture that over the past several weeks I've just been reading through the book of Jeremiah and just reading through some of the history of the nation of Israel when they were finding themselves falling into a cycle of sin and apostasy. And I find some very interesting and relevant things here in the Word of the Lord today that I believe will be relevant for us here. And here in this portion of Scripture in 2 Kings that we, that we find that this particular season where it was just one generation removed from the mighty kingship of David and Solomon that the nation of Israel began to fall away from God. Now, I'm sure we're all familiar with the first three kings of Israel, that there was Saul, the first king, and and then there was David, that great and mighty king, the psalmist of Israel, that songwriter, that warrior, that man after God's own heart. And then it was David's son Solomon who was the wisest man of his generation. It was Solomon who saw so much prosperity and power and unity and growth and favor over the course of his kingship. But what we don't often think about or recognize is that it was, it was Solomon's son Reboham who was just one generation removed from Solomon, who began to experience a great decline and division in the nation of Israel. You see, it was Reboam who, who was uh, elected as a king. He was made king over the nation of Israel. And because Reboam had, had just been elected king, he wanted to prove himself a little bit. And, and so the people came to Reboam and they said, well, would you please remove some of the harsh taxes that have come upon us? And, and Reboam, having seeked counsel on how he should handle this request of the people, even though the elders of the land, the wise elders, informed him that he should lighten up his restrictions on the people. Nevertheless, the Bible says that Reboham wanted to prove his strength. 
And so the Bible says that instead of lightening up the restrictions, that he began to, to tighten it up. And, and so because of a harsh policy, the Bible says that these northern kingdoms, these, the northern part of the kingdom of Israel, began to secede from the nation, forming their own nation called Israel. And it was Israel that was located in the capital city of Samaria. And they had established their own kingdom with their own king by the name of Jeroboam. And this split left the descendants of Solomon with with only two remaining southern kingdoms or, or two remaining tribes, and that was Judah and Benjamin. It was these two tribes combined which formed the nation of Judah whose capital was in Jerusalem. So just hang with me here. So now for the first time in the nation's history, we have a divided nation comprised of two separate kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Israel was in the north under the reign of Jeroboam, and that left Judah in the south under the reign of Reboam. And so we find here that just as soon as that northern kingdom had separated themselves from the rest of the nation, from the rest of the body of God's people, and had established themselves as their own kingdom, they quickly slipped into a cycle of apostasy and sin. And I just want to say right here that whenever we fall into the same spiritual trap that this northern kingdom fell into, to think that we don't need the people of God, we don't need the church of God, we don't need the body of Christ, it's only a matter of time before we begin to find ourselves feeling weak and feeling disconnected but I've come today to tell you that I'm thankful for the church I'm thankful for the body of Christ I'm thankful for a group of people that call upon the name of the same God that pray the same type of prayer that worship I'm thankful for the church so this northern kingdom had separated themselves and so they find themselves just falling away into this cycle of sin and rebellion. They had established themselves as their own king and now as their own kingdom. And now their king, Jeroboam, he began to fall away from the Lord. And the, and the history tells us that this kingdom was succeeded by nine more kings who each were more wicked than their predecessor. They began to forget the Lord their God and they continued to pursue the things of this world. They began to pursue Baal worship. And ultimately, they led the nation of Israel and the people of God into further and further wickedness. Although God sent them prophets like Elijah and Amos and Isaiah who ministered to the kingdom, the people were insistent upon worshiping false gods and they sought after Baal. Now, usually you've got to understand something. Is that when Israel... God's people would get to this point when they would find themselves slipping away from the power and the presence and the protection of the Lord their God that usually they would begin to shake themselves and they would have enough sense to recognize the error of their way. They would respond to the preaching and the prophesying of the prophets in that day and they would find themselves coming back to a place of repentance, back to a place of calling upon the name of the Lord and God would move in them and it was a, it was a common cycle in Israel's history that, that they would first abandon God and then they would then fall in to bondage and then they would cry out to God from their bondage but God would ultimately bring them deliverance. It was the ABCs of Israel's history. They would A, abandon their God and then God would allow them to fall into bondage and ultimately it was there in their bondage that they would cry out to God from their bondage and God would finally bring deliverance. But this time 
was different. You see, this time, God did not deliver his people. God didn't send a mighty hand of deliverance. God didn't send a deliverer. God didn't raise up a way of escape. God didn't split the Red Sea. God didn't do the miraculous. This time was different because this time God's people refused to cry out. And so in the year 730 B.C., God raised up a nation by the name of Assyria and allowed this people, this foreign people, to invade and to conquer and to destroy the northern kingdom. I want to tell you here today, this morning, that if any time, if God's people would simply humble themselves and cry out to God, that God, this God we serve, He's rich in mercy, in fact, it was Jeremiah who during this same era, he wrote the words that through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not and that they are new every morning, that, that great is his faithfulness. I want to tell you today that no matter where you are in your life and no matter what season or situation you may find yourself in, that we still serve a God that is a healer and a deliverer, that, that when we find ourselves far from God and we find ourselves slipping into bondage, that if we would just lift our voice that our God is able to heal us. Our God is able to deliver us. Our God is able to make a way for us. You see, sin will always lead to bondage. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That sin is what separates us from God. That sin is a reproach, that sin brings shame, that sin will always bring sorrow, and that sorrow will always be followed by wrath, that the wages of our sin is death. But I'm thankful today that no matter what type of trouble or turmoil we find ourselves in, that if we can just get back to an altar, if we can just get back to a confession, if we can just get back to faith in God, that God can take all of those things that happened in the past, and God can work them to together for the good of those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. It was the apostle John that said, my little children, I write these things to you so that you might not sin. But he said, if anyone would sin, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to tell you that there is still an altar in Judah, that there is still an altar in the house of God's people, that there is still a place where we can run to and find mercy and find grace and find restoration for our souls. Don't you ever think that you've gotten too far from God, that God cannot redeem you, that God cannot touch you, that God cannot restore you. I want to tell you, our God is a merciful God. But this time was different because the children of Israel, despite God's faithfulness, Despite God's deliverance, despite God's salvation, this time the children of Israel refused to cry out to God. You see, the problem was that this time Israel had not just sinned against God through their actions. They had lifted up high places of, of idol worship in the past. They had committed grievous sins. They had sought after 
false gods like Baal. They had done all of the things that God had told them not to do. They had sinned against God with their actions. But now the Bible is telling us and painting a picture that in this time and season that now they had not only departed from God in their actions, but now Israel had departed from God in their hearts. You see, too often we allow ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking that God, hear me now, God only cares about what's in the heart, that our actions don't matter to God. We think that if we aren't living up to God's will for our lives, that God just he sees our heart, that that God doesn't care so much about how I'm living. God doesn't care so much about what I'm doing. God doesn't care so much about what I'm, what I'm, what my actions I'm taking. Because at the end of the day, God knows the heart. And I've come to tell you today that that our God knows all things. And yes, our God does know our hearts. But I want to tell you today that the Bible tells us something about the heart, and that that is our heart is deceitful and wicked. That God knows our heart, but He knows that if there's sin in our life, if there's rebellion, rebellion in our life, that if our actions aren't measuring up to the will of God and the purpose of God in our life, that the sad reality is, is that it comes from the abundance of our heart. I want to tell you today that the Bible says that life flows from the overflow of our hearts, that our mouth speaks from the overflow of our heart, that all of the issues according to Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 flow through the abundance of the heart. That means that our actions come out of our heart that our decisions flow out of the condition of our heart, that our relationships come through the abundance of what is in our heart, that the choices of life and everything in life flows out of the abundance of our heart. And so if our actions are disobedient to God, what Israel failed to realize is that because it's because the condition of our heart is in a disobedience to God. You see, Israel's problem in this day and in this age is that they had long transgressed against the Lord in their actions. But now they had gotten to a place to where their heart had turned against the Lord. They were disconnected. They were, they were disengaged. They were, they were far from God. And in times past, when they would call out to the Lord, when they would cry out to God, that this, this same formula of deliverance would take place each and every time, that, that they would find themselves in sin, and then they would find themselves in bondage. But if they could just call upon the name of the Lord, that ultimately that God would bring deliverance, and God would bring healing, and God would bring salvation. But this time, the children of Israel didn't cry out to God. I want to tell you today that one of the worst places that we could ever get to in life is not to find ourselves and and, and just sometimes I know that sometimes church can be hard. Church can be a discipline. Church can be just a matter of getting up and just going to church because it's the right thing I do to do. I get it. I understand it. Listen, we've got three boys. I understand what it's like to get up in the morning to fight and to wrestle, to get teeth brushed, to get hairs combed, to, to get clothes on, to get to church and to be in your right mind. But I want to tell you that the worst place that we could ever get to is a place where it's hard to get to a place where we don't even want to go to church, where we don't even want to serve God, where we don't even want to enjoy the presence of God. I want to tell you today that we've never can allow ourselves to get to a place where our desire is not to serve God. Our desire is not to worship God. Our desire is not to be connected to the presence of God. I found something about church 
is that the more I go to church, the more I want to be in church. The more I worship God, the more I want to worship God. The more I pray, the more I want to pray. The more I get around God's people, the more I want to be around God's people. Israel's problem was simply this. That not only had they rebelled against God in their actions, but now they had begun to allow themselves to turn in the condition of their heart. So the Bible tells us that, it, that Assyria was raised up. That Assyria invaded Israel. Assyria conquered Israel. And Assyria carried God's people away from Israel into exile. And then all of a sudden, something happened. Something interesting. The Bible says that Assyria became arrogant. They assumed that because they had one in the northern tribes, in the northern kingdom, that they could also conquer in Judah. Because they had one up there, that they could win anywhere. And so Assyria turns their sights not just upon Israel, but now they had set their sights on Judah and King Hezekiah. What they didn't realize is that Hezekiah, that, that they didn't recognize is that in their arrogance and their overstepping is that at this point, that God had not given Judah over to the chastisement that he had like Israel. That would happen down the road, but this season and this time, they were, they were experiencing revival. It was during this particular period in this particular conflict that Judah was still under the righteous reign of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a man after God's own heart. Hezekiah was a revivalist. Hezekiah was still seeking after the Lord. Hezekiah had still set his sights on doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He believed in the truth of God's word. He brought down the high places and he lifted up the low places. He made straight paths for God's people and he walked in all of the ways of his father. Father David. And so while God had taken his hand off of that northern kingdom, at the exact same time God had still had a hand of deliverance and revival upon the southern kingdom of Judah. I want to just stop and say this right now, that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what trouble or trial or turmoil, COVIDs and masks and elections and corruptions and bad news and good news, no matter what happens in this world, I want to tell you that the church can still have revival, that the church can still experience a move of God, that no matter what may be taking place, in Washington, D.C., or no matter what takes place in this world with masks and COVID and corruption, that God can still move in the body of Christ. I want to tell you that this can be our finest hour, that we can see a great move of God, that we can still experience revival in a great way. I don't know if you're paying attention to the news or not, but out in California and some of our eastern coast cities and states were finding that more and more persecution is being raised against the church. The governor of, of California, Governor Newsom, just doubled down on his stance against churches that while liquor stores and strip clubs and marijuana dispensaries can be open for businesses that you can't gather together in a church to worship God in the house of God. But I've come to tell you today that it's in a day like this that God is going to pour out a revival unlike anything that we've ever seen. But it's going to take a church that's decided that no matter what the world says, no matter what the government, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to serve God. I don't care about your hypocrisy. I don't care about your persecution because I'm going to live for God. No matter what happens in this world, 
church can be the church. And what I've come to preach to you today, what I've come to encourage you today is that despite what takes place in the times in which we are living, despite the headlines, despite what you see in the news, despite what the news articles say, despite what the pundits say and the articles say, I want to tell you that this can be the day and the hour where the church has its greatest revival. Don't you get intimidated. Don't you get worried. Don't you get discouraged because God has not taken his hand up off of the church. But if we'll keep living for God, if we'll keep seeking God, if we'll keep being faithful to God, God is going to pour out a revival in this church and in this hour. So what happens here is that Assyria conquers the northern kingdom. And Hezekiah hears that Assyria has conquered the north. And now they're beginning to try to invade Judah also. And so he goes out and he meets this representative of King Assyria in 2 Kings chapter 18 verse 28. In 30, the Bible says that this man, Rabshakeh, he was a representative of the king of Assyria. He called out in a loud voice. He had come to the gates of Judah. And he begins to try to intimidate Judah. And in the language of, the, of Judah, he says, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. He says this, he says, Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. And then he says this, he says, Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us and the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. In other words, what he was saying is what happens here is, is that Assyria had conquered the northern kingdom. And now they think that they can also intimidate and conquer this southern kingdom. But what they failed to realize is that Judah was experiencing revival. And then they began to overstep in their power and in their, in their, in their, in their, in their pride. And they began to think that they could just rough up the children of God up north and we're going to rough them up here too. That we're going to intimidate and we're going to conquer. And they began sending letters to Hezekiah. They began sending warnings to Hezekiah. And they began trying to intimidate him to tell him that we're getting ready to conquer you too. I want to tell you that it's in this day and age that if we allow ourselves to take in all the negative news and all the negative reports that we also are going to feel intimidation by this world, that they've conquered a few areas, that they've had their way in a few areas. They've oppressed states like California and other states, and they've shut down some churches in some areas, and they've inflicted their will and their purpose in some places. And, and I'm telling you, the, the day is going to come where they're going to begin to overstep, and they're going to think that they can conquer everywhere. But here's what happened in the word of the Lord and what I believe God has put in my heart. The Bible says that Hezekiah takes these letters and in 2 Kings chapter 18, 28 and 30, the Bible says that he received these letters from the hand of the messenger and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. And here it is. He spread it before the altar. He spread it before the Lord. He took all of these worries. He took all of these cares. He took all of these doubts. He took all of these fears. And, and instead of taking it to Facebook, instead of taking it to his congressman, instead of taking it anywhere else, he put it before the altar of the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. 
Incline your ear also, O Lord, and hear. Open your eye, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. In other words, what he says is despite all of what's going on, despite everything taking place, that I still know that I have a refuge in the presence and in the house of the Lord. And what I've just simply come to preach to you today is that as the church of God, that our first resort, that our first answer, that our first place that we go to for refuge when the worries and the cares and the trials and the tribulations of life come flooding in is to an altar to call upon the name of the Lord. I want to tell you today, it's in a day and age in which we live that the greatest challenge of the church is to find a place of prayer in the midst of our current struggles, in the midst of our persecution. It's in these times that we need to go back to the Lord in prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the man, a man who is intimate with God should never be intimidated by men. I want to tell you that prayer is our acknowledgement that we still need God and we still know that He is the source of all life of all deliverance, of all strength, and of all healing. And more than just a program, more than a song, more than a political affiliation, that nothing can replace our connection and our conversation with God. It was Paul that told the Thessalonians that we should pray without ceasing. It was him. He said that we need to pray and bring supplication and thanksgiving to God. It was Jesus that, meant, that said that men should pray always and not faint. And so in every situation and in every circumstance, the church needs to pray in every day, in every way, in every season, in every time, we need to pray. When you feel like it, pray. When you don't feel like it, pray. Pray when things are going well and pray when your world is falling apart. Pray when there's sickness in your body and pray when there's health in your body because men ought always to pray. When you're, when you're angry, you ought to pray. When you're happy, you ought to pray. Pray when the sun is shining and pray when your dark clouds are covering your life. I want to tell you that when you pray, you ought to call upon the name of the Lord and believe that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Prayer is our solution. Prayer is our refuge. Prayer is our source of deliverance. I can't help but reiterate the spiritual journey that God brought me on just a few years ago. In a season and a time of my life where I was feeling weary and tired, discouraged, and disconnected, that God sent some voices into my life. And more than just a break, more than just a rest, more than just whatever other solution or source I could find, God sent someone into my life to tell me, no, the solution for you is that you would get to an altar of prayer. Make time to pray. Take time to pray. Make prayer a priority in your life. And I want to tell you that as I committed myself to praying more than I've ever prayed in my life, that God began to restore me and God began to heal me and God began to encourage me. I want to tell you today, it's not just some cliche that you hear the preacher talk about but there is healing in prayer there is encouragement in prayer there is there is joy when we pray the church needs to pray if we want to be fruitful we've got to pray if we want revival we've got to pray if we want power we've got to pray we need to pray at all times, in all seasons, and every day. We need to pray. When you need wisdom, pray. When you don't know where to go, pray. When you feel discouraged, pray. When, when you feel like God's not speaking, pray. When you feel like heaven is closed, pray. Whatever the need, whatever the circumstances, in all of our afflictions, let the church pray.
Stand with me today. You see, there's more to this story that we're going to get into, God willing. But this Assyrian king, this evil king, began to try to intimidate the people of God. He came right up to the gates of Judah. And right in their own language and right in their own voice, he began to try to intimidate God's people. And he says, don't trust in Hezekiah. Don't trust in him when he says that the Lord will deliver. Don't trust in him when he says that God will make a way. But if you will just simply surrender to this king in Assyria, that'll solve your problems. That'll fix your trial, your tribulation. But Hezekiah instructed the people of the Lord, don't respond to this evil Shennacherib. But instead, I'm going to take these letters and I'm going to go to the altar of God and I'm going to spread them out before the Lord and I'm going to pray. It was in this occasion that God spoke to a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And as Hezekiah had spread these letters of intimidation, these letters of threat and warning out before the altar of God, God spoke to Isaiah and said, because Hezekiah has prayed about these letters, he said, I'm going to bring a deliverance to your people. It was that night that 180,000 of these Assyrian soldiers in the middle of the night lost their life. That through rumors of victory, that God scattered the enemy and ultimately brought victory to the people of God. And what I find in this story is a message for the church today. That in light of everything taking place in this world, in light of masks and restrictions and shutdowns and worries and fears and all the things that are taking place, maybe not in the political world, but maybe just in your personal life, that you've got worries and troubles and problems and unsolved situations, that if you would just recognize and realize that your solution is still prayer, that God is still your healer, that God is still your deliverer, that God can still make a way, that if you'll just take your cares and cast them before the Lord, that God cares for your soul. I wonder if the church could just lift its hand all over this place. Come on, saint. Come on, child of God. What did you bring into the house of the Lord today? What burden are you bearing today? What worry do you have? What care are you carrying? What what trial and tribulation are you facing? What family problem are you dealing with? What relationship problem are you carrying? What, what financial worry 